Hey everyone, thanks for checking out KettleCast, a spot where you can come for discussion with technology consultants who have seen it all. Matt Leathers, our lead consultant here at Kettle, has over 15 years of experience working for some of the leading firms in the world. Today we are here to provide practical ideas based off our wealth of experience across all types of industries while hopefully providing some entertainment and advice. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to pop in and tell you we are pivoting from our last series from the Cannabis Diaries to a broader topic. This series, titled Drive or Be Driven, How to Manage Your Career Like a Consultant and the accompanying blog post can be found on the episode page. Some of this content will be tailored towards those who are specifically looking to strengthen their consultant career, but as we all know, consultants are called in to fix problems, so why not incorporate these practices into your day-to-day no matter what your title is and impress your boss or better your organization. If anything we say sparks your interest, feel free to go to the show page and leave comments and questions. We would love to hear from you. All right, let's get started. Welcome back. I'm Amanda and I'm here with Matt Leathers, our senior consultant here at Kettle Consulting Group. Today we want to discuss the third most common mistake of consultants, which is over-promising and under-delivering. This series started with episode 8, the top mistakes of consultants. Obviously, coming from a consultant background, it makes sense for us to discuss the mistakes we have seen and coached our own colleagues through. But don't forget, consultants work with all types of industries and organizations. We really focused on ways to avoid these mistakes in the past few episodes, so I encourage anyone looking to better their career and make improvements in their job or organization to go back and listen to the last few episodes. So that's episode 8 plus 10 plus this one. On today's episode, we are talking about something that can be frustrating from both ends of the deal. That's over-promising and under-delivering. Okay, Matt, I'm handing it over to you. (laughs) Thanks, Amanda. Uh, I think uh, anybody who's ever been in a relationship in business or otherwise is used to the concept of over-promising and under-delivering. Uh, especially as it revolves around like uh, blind dates or uh, lofty sales pitches, um, particularly for anybody who has ever bought software thinking that it will solve all of their problems magically. Um, <laughs> many times a sales rep will absolutely encourage that wishful thinking. Um, and when it doesn't quite work out, they've already moved on to another account. Um, so. Consultants that overpromise and underdeliver are everywhere. Uh, if you think about the economics in consulting, or, or really anybody in professional services, attorneys, software engineers, uh, executive coaches, and even therapists, if $300 an hour is the going rate, you need to be creating value three to four times that hourly or daily rate. and that can often lead to a misalignment between expectations. And sometimes those are assumed. And so as Amanda, as you mentioned, you know, earlier podcasts talk about how to clarify assumptions and clarify unclear problems or setting the right priorities. But this is, this is primarily focused on dealing with the concept of, of over-promising and under-delivering. This is when you specifically say, I'm going to save your business or I'm going to deliver results that are wildly and spectacularly overly optimistic. So, you know, the client is going to be frustrated, uh, especially with consultants, given 
the uh, the cost that shows up on that first invoice, maybe the second invoice, if you're lucky. And so that in, in, in consulting language and terms, usually you're billing every two to four weeks. And so, you know, shortly after one month on the job, you're typically called out and you receive a phone call asking, what am I getting for my money? Um, and cost isn't the only factor. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. said, you can be so heavenly bound that you're no earthly good. And we see this a lot as well, where there are strategic roadmaps, there are assessments, um, and the time to create those materials typically takes longer than the client starts to realize value. Um, and furthermore, if, if you put together a strategy with no basis or no grounding and execution, the balloon will pop and, and the crash is going to hurt. So setting expectations properly and managing expectations and, and um, adjusting them as changes happen are critical skills that we need in our careers, uh, particularly in consulting. So the, the, first, uh, the first piece, and we've touched on some of these already. So these, these last few episodes are building on each other. So use clarifying questions to resolve vague problems and assumptions. Don't make the assumption that you have 40 hours a week for work because it's probably closer to 20, maybe 30, uh, if you're being realistic. So you are very quickly overcommitting yourself already if you make some of those, those basic assumptions. And we've talked about those in previous episodes. So one, reducing the number of assumptions. So assumptions are a part of life, right? So if you are building a home, you assume that they've done this before, that there is a plan, that you can look at a design, you prepare the design, and then you see the skeleton and the bones of the home build up, and then you go phase by phase and tune and adjust. Um, you know, when you're driving a car, you assume that the person next to you is not texting or vaping or otherwise distracted. But you can also look around and see if those conditions are changing and if those assumptions have changed. So when I look around and I see somebody texting or something like that, I adjust my driving accordingly. So in consulting, we typically are operating off of contracts. Deliverables are stated clearly in the engagement letter. So even before we begin, we know what we need to accomplish. We generally know when we need to accomplish it. And there's a whole list of assumptions. And so oftentimes these contracts and these deals fail where we assume that the client or our team is going to behave or engage in a way that we've worked in the past. So, for example, how long is it reasonable for a client to make a decision? 48 hours? A week? So one thing that consultants usually apply is a time frame in the contract for how long it takes to make a decision for the client. Otherwise, you may sit for weeks, if not months, for the client to decide on a path forward or requirement or accepting a deliverable. And during that time, you are building up hours and time and energy that could be at risk. So if you're going to have to write off three months worth of work because you've been working out of contract, that's a pretty significant risk. And so similarly, clarifying assumptions for how long it takes to make a decision. Um, another one is uh, what resources do you need to be successful? 
we can't do it alone. So consultants need key stakeholders or decisions and who is going to work with us to implement the strategy or work on the project. Most organizations can't handle a team of 10 to 20 consultants. And many times we need feedback from the client about ideas that will work or have been tried before and failed and why those ideas failed. Um, Who's going to review your deliverables? Who's going to accept them so that you can get paid? Um, Are there going to be you know, training costs and change uh, implementation costs. Will the team be ready to take the baton after you hand it off? At American Express, our team uh, serve online was working with American Express technology to integrate with their fraud detection engine. So anytime somebody used the serve product, we had our own solution for detecting fraud, but it wasn't quite as good as American Express technologies. So, Um, When we reached out to them about plugging that in as a part of our fiscal year planning, we were told that it would take 18 months to even be considered for part of their backlog. That completely derailed our plans and our assumptions around what we were going to be able to deliver. So confirming your needs, the interdependencies, and, and really wherever you are, who from the business, what technology legal, HR, and marketing needs are you going to possibly need before you are going to make a commitment? A really simple one is if you're going to commit to a sales target, what training do you need? What help do you need? What leads do you need? What business decisions do you need? Um, What legal review turnaround do you need? All of those things. All of those things matter in terms of your individual ability to succeed or to fail. Another question is, have you done this before? And it seems like a really dumb question, but it happens all the time in consulting. Um, At Deloitte, I was working for a client in the telematics industry. Uh, Think of it like GM OnStar. And on Tuesday, I got a phone call asking me to work on a mobile payments project. I explained that the last time I worked in payments or financial services was four years ago. Uh, It had been a little while. And I was told to be in St. Petersburg, Florida to advise American Express. Um, And to get ready, I received a white paper on mobile payments and a copy of the contract and a plane ticket. So the message was, you are now a mobile payments expert. Um, You need to ask uh, good questions and appear to be an expert because they are paying you quite a bit of money and paying Deloitte quite a bit of money for you to uh, show up and help turn this around. So you, you should probably assume that if you haven't done it before, um, uh, a learning curve of at least four weeks is, is generally wise. Um, so if you haven't done it before, before you make the commitment, think and consider and, and maybe spend a little bit of time getting your feet wet before you make a commitment like that. Um, the second point around uh, trying to avoid over over-promising and under-delivering is uh, healthy ratios. So there's a few that are general rules of thumb in consulting. Um, How much of your time is focused on maintenance work versus new uh, improvements? So Amanda, we've we've talked about this. In a job description or your your typical 40-hour work week, um, you know, if 70% of the job is doing the job, 
then what percent of the job is, is focused on making things better? And a healthy ratio is, say, 60-40, 60% doing the core job requirements and 40% making things better. That's going to be pretty, it'll be fulfilling for you, but it'll also help you understand and know how much you should commit in terms of what you can deliver on a day-to-day basis, as well as what are you going to do to make things better. And if you don't have any capacity to make things better, if you are focused 100% on just your core job responsibilities, then don't make those commitments. Um, What's the impact and the value of your work? So if you're an executive coach working with a big consulting firm and teaching them soft skills, what is your worth? Because on the surface, they may balk at paying for a day of your time and a day of of soft skills training for $2,400. So focusing on the cost alone is is a losing game and you're not going to win that. What's the value that you are creating? So as an employee or as a potential um, expert or professional services worker, if you're $2,400 a day for your day's worth of soft skill training, helps that company or helps that organization increase their sales percentages by 10%, well, you do the math. The chances are possibly very good that 10% of sales and increasing 10% sales by 10% is well worth $2,400. $2,400 becomes a drop in the bucket. So, you know, before you make those commitments, understand the, the goal that you are trying to help them achieve, the change that you are trying to help them make, the improvement, and quantify it. Ask them, what are their current sales numbers and how many of those are lost or how many deals are lost because of a lack of soft skills? And you can back your way into what the numbers are. But knowing and understanding the the value and the impact of your work to the business bottom line, whether you're helping them save money, avoid risk, or make money, um, serving more customers and uh, having customers come back, you can put a number on that. So, So back into it and figure out what positive influence you are potentially having on the organization and make sure that ratio is healthy um, so you can make firm commitments. Um, How many activities or or how many people, um, how many things require um, people change versus technology change? A lot of the times you're going to assume and a lot of people make the assumption that they need to buy a lot of software, buy a lot of tools to make improvements and to make positive changes. Um, But you can do a lot with simply communicating and talking with people and getting people on the same page. Um, There are a lot of $50 solutions um, that will help you avoid spending time, energy, and money on $5,000 or $500,000 solutions. And so if you understand in terms of your work, and so this is where the ratio comes in specifically, how many of the responsibilities that you have and the improvements that you could potentially make are $5 solutions, so low impact and high value, versus expensive solutions, high dollar and high impact. You need to have a balance because everything, if everything on your list is going to require six figures in software or like uh, Salesforce licenses, there's a decent chance it's never going to happen and it never gets done. 
So understanding your objectives and your responsibilities and understanding what you can influence very quickly and easily with people changes or with communication or awareness or training versus what's going to require a budget, you can avoid overcommitting and avoid um, putting expectations out there that are unachievable unless you have the resources and the budgets available to, to do that and deliver. And so finally, one of the, the last pieces that we're going to touch on here for um, under-promising um, and over-delivering is the idea of total cost of ownership. And so consultants are notoriously um, good at the cost to deliver, but the cost of ownership is frequently forgotten. And, it, you know, think of it like a car manufacturer. It's one thing to buy the vehicle, but if the vehicle is going to require expensive maintenance over the next three years, four years, let alone five, 10, 15 years, the manufacturers that make product and vehicles that are reliable for 10 plus years are, are ones that are generally rewarded. Um, but manufacturers whose vehicles are, are aging rapidly after the lease is up or who are constantly in the shop because they require new enhancements, new features, fixes, or repairs, um, those, those manufacturers get avoided. So in terms of the cost to deliver, um, when you are making a commitment, think about the people that you need, the decisions that you need, the time and the money or any regulatory assumptions that you're making, uh, or even parallel projects like the project backlog uh, for American Express and their fraud detection engine. Um, in terms of regulations, if your business plan is assuming that you know, something is going to be made legal or illegal, um, is that actually going to happen? Are you going to be able to enter that new market? Um, or are those assumptions uh, potentially invalidated? Uh, a lot of people's plans to go to market in China are now null and void or are being revisited. And there's a lot of time and energy that have been put into those plans and expectations that have been set internally and also to the markets. So before you make those assumptions, um, think about not just what it's going to cost to uh, deliver, but what is it going to cost Afterwards, After you flip the switch, what are the maintenance costs in terms of people and time and energy or even licenses or things like that? Um, and so another a way to think about that, put some limitations on it so you're not like forecasting for 10 years. Just think about the next 12 to 24 months of ownership. So is it going to take a person to do that work or to run that product or to handle the social media to market that product for the next... 12 months or 24 months? If so, you're starting to work on your cost of ownership. Um, and that's, that's a good thing to include before you make a commitment. So finally, just kind of a point on um, things happen, right? So stuff happens. Um, one of the things that happens regularly with over-promising and under-delivering is that tendency to make a commitment and then not even a week goes by where the commitments need to change and a leader comes storming in and asks you for something in addition to what you'd already committed to do. 
So when that happens, and it will inevitably happen, um, whether it's because somebody quit or there's an unforeseen change, even if you didn't commit your full 40 hours, um, that contingency will get swallowed up pretty quickly. So um, manage the ledger, first of all. So managing your puts and takes. Uh, when something changes and when your list of priorities change, you should already have your list. And so what comes onto the list and what comes off of the list? It's a pretty simple exchange. And if you're managing your lists, then this is, this is something you have at your fingertips anyways. Um, second piece is, is let your leader choose. Um, <laughs> I've been in situations where I've been said uh, and told that I need to do both projects. Um, that's, that's a hard situation to be put into. So if you've got your list and you're, you're working off of two to four week increments and they want to change the priorities, let them pick what comes on and what moves off. Have them make the decision for you. And if you are fully utilized and if you've got you know, all 40 hours um, committed, then they are going to be the ones who choose and, and make the prioritization decision for you. They can also be the ones to communicate it for you, and they should be. If you're being pulled off of a client or a sales opportunity or a case to focus on a different case or a sales opportunity, then the person making that decision needs to be the one to support you um, as you communicate that hard news to the client or to the um, person you're representing. And then there's finally the uh, one of the more powerful tools is the power of not yet. It's not the power of no. Um, because many times if, if it's a binary decision, that's when you do find yourself and you have to do both. Um, you have to do the things you've committed to plus the new things. But if you're managing your ledger and your backlog of work properly, and if it's written down and estimated and set priority order, then it's a matter of saying, well, you can't do it right now. Um, but you can do it in the next pass. So if you're making commitments in two to four week increments, it's not no, it's just simply not yet relative to the things that you already have in flight. You don't cancel a flight in midair. You cancel the flight before it takes off. So to avoid a lot of uh, churn and a lot of anxiety, a lot of the times the mindset of the business is that it's either a yes or a no, but if they are part of the process and deciding when it happens and they get to choose and set the priority and it's, it's going to come maybe not in this interval, but in the next two to four intervals, then that eases a lot of their anxiety, um, particularly around making these decisions. So we know that you want to impress your, your managers or your leaders, um, especially if you're new to a job or new to a project. Um, but you want to really avoid the temptation to put a bad taste in their mouth um, by overcommitting yourself and, and under-delivering. Um, so we want you to build a reputation that is the groundwork for a career. Um, and that's part of why we're talking about the things that you can do specifically that come out of your mouth or in writing uh, to avoid over committing yourself um, and over promising and under delivering.
Cool. Thanks, Matt. Um, as you know, I know I like to pop in and give my two cents here at the end, so I'm going to do just that right now. Um, as someone who does not like to be bored and likes to over-deliver, um, I can easily get myself in over my head, whether it's at work or at home or, you know, out of work. Um, so I think these are actually some good... It's like a different type of advice than you... when Whenever you look up, you know, how do I manage my priorities? How do I stop being so type A? <laughs> um, I think this is, you know, more practical advice that you can actually put to work pretty fast, um, to, you know, to stop getting in over your head. Um, so that's it for today. You can get to this episode's show page from the link in the show notes and leave questions or comments there. And that's it. Thanks. Thanks.